0: Since 2010. Each week, I'll interview a crowdfunding success story, an inspirational entrepreneur, or a business expert in order to help you take your startup to the next level with crowdfunding. Art of the Kickstart is honored to be sponsored by Gadget Flow. The Gadget Flow is a product discovery platform that helps you discover, save, and buy awesome products. It is the ultimate buyer's guide for luxury gadgets and creative gifts. Now, let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Art of the Kickstart. Today, I am super excited to be speaking with James Kelly, co-founder of Wooly Clothing. James, thank you so much for joining us today on the show. Hey, Roy. Uh, Great to be
1: here. Thanks for having me.
0: So I'm really excited to talk. I mean, I I always love talking to multi-creators on Kickstarter, uh, where you ran your first campaign back in 2018, I think, I believe, the, uh, the Long Haul Pant, which was a Merino Performance Style Pant. Raised over $233,000. I myself was a backer and absolutely loved those pants. And now you're back again with a new project, the Nature Dry Jacket, uh, you know, performance jacket without plastic. Um, it's now raised over three hundred k. So you've raised over half a million dollars on Kickstarter. I'm really excited to kind of dive in and, you know, go back to the beginning on where did it all start and what inspired you to create Wooly Clothing?
1: Yeah. Is that, uh, should I just take that cue and tell the story? <laughs> That's the one, baby. Yeah, so Wooly's been around. I think this is now going to be our eighth year uh, officially. I think we launched in 2012. And it all started when, you know, I I actually worked at Amazon uh, back then. I started there back in 2010 or so in the third party selling group. And it was pretty common among the people that I learned ropes from there to have side hustles. And so I was always kind of looking for something to start up on Amazon. And Ended up starting up another clothing company first, um, um with my uh, a buddy from college, and that one worked great. And we just kind of kept looking for ideas, and wooly was, um, kind of came out of that. We both got merino wool underwear for Christmas, wanted a lot more, saw that they cost like seventy five dollars a pair, which seemed completely insane. And you know, did all of our diligence and figured out, you know, we could make them for about half that, and nobody else on Amazon was doing it at the time. And um, that's where it all started. We started making a single pair of underwear, and over you know, it's grown to a whole lot more. So that's the, uh, that's the origin story. And then, yeah, about two years ago, we started having bigger ideas, and Kickstarter seemed to be the only way that we could afford to, to make them happen. And so we took a crack with the pants, and that worked great. And here we are back again with the coat, uh, the Nature Dry Jacket.
0: So, when you were creating woolly clothing, like let's start it just like what was the process? like How did you go about deciding what features to include, how to source it, manufacture it, make it, ship it like what were all the things that you went through? just ground level sites
1: You know, you know we had a pretty big leg up in that you know I worked at amazon i I ran a team. Our job was to get sellers up and running on Amazon, so my day job was just basically figuring out how to get companies up and running on Amazon and make them successful so So I had this kind of like rich and deep background of knowledge of just, you know, fulfillment and listing and product creation and, you know, all the sort of nuts and bolts of that. And we had to figure out how to, you know, where to go get product from, how to design clothes, you know, what that even means. And so that was kind of our big focus was, you know, how do you, how do you create something? (laughs) we had no idea. And so that was a lot of, you know, first... I think with clothes, anybody who designs clothes that you talk to, I think it's kind of a dirty secret, but it all starts by shopping. You know, you just go find stuff that you like and then you use that as the base model and make a bunch of modifications and you cut and you um, safety pin and you mark up and you draw and you tape and, you know, you kind of create something that is exactly what you want. And um, then you, in our case, go on Alibaba and you find someone who can make it. And that was kind of our process.
0: So what were some of those challenges that you encountered when designing the first product?
1: You know, we actually we took it down, but for the last few years we've had hanging above my desk the first pair of underwear that came back, the first prototype, because they probably would not fit any human alive. They were like three feet wide, (laughs) you know, like like a bed sheet's worth of fabric. You know, and that it was like we were so excited our first prototype was coming, and then we pulled these underwear out of the package and it was like would fit on a redwood and so you know i think that was it's always you know and then since then it's been the same thing you know it's like your first prototype is pretty hit or miss prototypes can take a lot of time sometimes can take money you know to work through so i think that you always have that kind of like excitement of seeing your your idea come to life and then realizing that it's never quite right or wasn't quite right and now you're you know another three month prototype window away from getting around to a lot of hurry up and wait and You know, small disappointments, and just kind of like keeping the faith and (laughs) staying on it. And then, you know, once you get a product live, I think, um, at least for the way we've done it, I think a lot of people that are like us do it, which is kind of bootstrapping it. You don't want to raise money, maybe putting in your own money. You know, those first two three years where you're getting really small unit counts. You know, if you have any success, that usually means you're selling out of your units, um, going. You know, quote unquote, out of business for two or three months while you're waiting for restocks to hit and having to restart everything. You know, that kind of defined our first two to three years in business where you're, you know, you're trying so hard to get sales. The second you get them, you're almost putting yourself out of business and then trying to find a way to manage that. And, you know, all the while trying to manage your cash flow and reinvesting in new products and redesigning new products. And that's, uh, that's a rough road. I think there's a lot of, I give a lot of credit to anybody who makes it happen. Uh, I know it's hard for us. I know it's hard for a lot of people. So that's uh, that was kind of our early story. Yeah, for
0: sure. So give me an idea of back in 2018 when you guys were launching the the pant line. How did the crowdfunding conversation come up, and why did you ultimately choose Kickstarter to launch the pants?
1: So we, it's kind of a like a funny side story. My business partner Mike, he was um, at a wedding and you know seated at a table. with This this other entrepreneur, she had been doing startups in San Francisco, was telling her our story. And she kind of got inspired and was like, damn, I'm going to start a product. And she went and kickstarted her product, you know, did over a million, went on Shark Tank. And she basically just like took our idea and crushed it and blew us out of the water. And so we sort of saw what she did. And, you know, that got us inspired. And I think it kind of got us thinking bigger too, you know, like, like I said, when you're kind of bootstrapping and you're reinvesting you know, your own profits tends to be kind of a small, really incremental game. You can only you know, throw so much money back into the business. And we were thinking about a pant for a long time, but you know, wool is a little different than cotton, synthetic, stuff like that. It's, it's really expensive, just the raw cost. You know, A wool shirt is anywhere from $10 to $15, raw costs more than a, a cotton shirt. So to start a product, especially something with as much pro- uh, fabric as a pant, you know, it was going to cost us around a quarter million dollars to just even give it a try. So, you know, trying to finance that or build the capital over time or anything like that, you know, would have been really, really hard. So Kickstarter seemed like a natural. We had been looking for something to kickstart. That was kind of the idea that came up. It all just kind of, you know, kind of came together. The idea and the opportunity kind of just happened organically and we decided to give it a go.
0: So now that you've run two successful crowdfunding campaigns, um, what did the preparation look like? leading up to the first campaign and then what changes have you made for this campaign?
1: And I think the first time around, you know, it's like your first rep at anything. You're just kind of trying to, I guess, cover your bases. You know, like I, I looked up, I think I looked up like 20 or 30 other successful campaigns and took a bunch of notes on sort of how they structured things. You know, what kind of customer um, messaging do they cover? You know, like how do they talk about things? It's a very different, you know, our background was uh, running Amazon, uh, selling on Amazon and selling on Shopify. And so the copy you put on a Kickstarter page was super different than the copy you would put on a um, Amazon listing, for instance. So, you know, I think it was a lot for us to learn as far as just like, how do you structure, build, talk about a product in the Kickstarter way? You know, it's a very different audience. It's international, you know, so there was that to consider as well. And so there was just kind of that, like, you know, what are the table stakes? You know, how do we build this thing? You know, just the basics. And then, It also took a whole lot of new capabilities for us. We'd never made a big, professional, multi-minute video. We really hadn't up till that point made a lot of gifts, and uh, you know we had to build out a a really good photo studio and get a good camera and figure out how to do that and get some um, skills in the team to to kind of make that happen. So I think there's a whole lot you know to to just make a good looking successful Kickstarter campaign. It, It took a fair amount of expansion of our abilities and just capabilities. So I think that was kind of the, that was step one for us. And then I think, did you ask, you know, what was between round one and round two?
0: Yeah, what are some of the differences that you guys, you know, decided to do now in addition to what you were doing before or remove because it didn't have the ROI that you hoped for?
1: Right, yeah, the first time around, I mean, the second you launch a Kickstarter campaign and it gets any kind of success, you just get completely inundated with uh, marketing requests, you know, cross posting uh, opportunities and offers, you know, you just get so much inbound contact and information and it's, it's a lot of overload. And I think the first time around, you know, I tried to kind of do everything, you know, I just, it felt like one of those, like do everything you can while you can. And um, it ended up just kind of, you know, completely overwhelming me. And I don't think it, you know, looking back, you know, kind of doing a postmortem, you know, the things that really drove results were, You know, very few. You know, it was the it was a great example of Pareto effect. You know, I think there was like five marketing things that drove any kind of results instead of you know out of the twenty to twenty five things we tried. There was, you know, another example was with a pant we tried to offer every single size possible. You know, to get everybody in the door, and I think something like eighty nine percent of our units were from seventeen percent of the sizes uh, that we offered. So, and that ended up being a huge, you know, challenge in the production side of things to just hit all those size offers sizing offers that we created so you know just in kind of the campaign this time around we simplified everything you know we really got disciplined about who we wanted to work with on the marketing side what our strategy was and it's you know it's made it a much more manageable campaign this time around and kind of given us the opportunity to be thoughtful and take on new things as the campaign is running and and uh you know it's been a lot more manageable been a lot been a lot more pleasant this time the second time around
0: yeah, it's good. I mean, you've been working with us here at Inventus Partners for a while now. I mean, what were some of those considerations that you looked at when choosing an agency to partner with?
1: Um, I think the biggest one was, you know, obviously results, uh, you know, product type, um, Inventus, you know, some of the stuff you guys offer. That was, it was pretty easy to see that you guys, you know, you guys delivered the first time around. You know, or, I think you're one of, if not the, the biggest contributor of third party sales uh, or not third party sales, but, you know, marketing driven sales. And so, you know, that was kind of an easy choice to make. And I think we narrowed down our partners that we wanted to work with pretty easily based on that. And I think the other thing is, you know, just the ease of working with someone. There's so much going on during a campaign. You know, you got to respond to all the daily comments and messages and you're trying to respond to this and that. And you know, having someone who's just simple to work with, who's, you know, got a team that's on top of stuff and being proactive and reminding you of your, your, you know, what you need to do, you know, that kind of stuff. You know, I think that. That's a big thing for me. I think there was one. I don't. I'm not going to say names. I don't even remember who it was, but there was one <laughs> marketing company I worked with who hit me up. I said, "Yeah, let's do it." I paid for the campaign, and then like three weeks after our campaign ended, they were like, "Hey, we're ready to push your your promotion live." <laughs> and I was like, what? "Like, this campaign's been over for almost a month. Like, where were you? You know, like." So I think having a team, um, you know, people who are just really easy to work with is a is a huge uh, attribute during a Kickstarter campaign. You just don't have, we're a small team. You don't have enough cycles to kind of stay on top of everything yourself. So that's a big, uh, it's a big factor as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talked a little bit about, you know, the, the community that we, that's been built, talk a little bit about the experience with your backers, you know, given that it's been a couple of years that you've been running campaigns now and built up thousands of, you know, people that are pre-ordering your products how are you going about managing feedback as well as promoting a campaign as well as going into manufacturing? Like how are you guys set up to be able to do that? And has the feedback, you know, led to changes at your company or new product ideas that you guys are planning on rolling out?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, you know, luckily for us, we don't really have to, we're a really small company. We're three, three, three and a half, four people, um, you know, depending on the day. So, you know, the feedback loops are pretty tight, you know, like I, I will manage a lot of the messages and comments as they come in. And I'll just turn around and, you know, tell my co-founder who is in charge of product design, you know, what people are asking for and saying, and it's, you know, it's like, yeah, that's possible. Yeah, it's not. So, you know, it's a pretty, being small is nice in that way. We don't have to, you know, create a, a big convoluted process or anything like that. And um, it's great too. You know, I think it's, you know, that's one of the weird things that's selling through places like Amazon and Shopify, you know, it's really hard to get direct customer feedback. And I think Kickstarter is pretty amazing because that's literally all you get <laughs> is that, you know, people back your project. They're super invested. They they want their voice heard. And so you'll get, you know, you get great feedback. You get, um, you know, some weird feedback, you know, you don't have to listen to all of it, but you definitely, you definitely hear a lot of really diverse voices and opinions. And, you know, there's a lot of people who know a ton about product design. Um, you know Sometimes we learn stuff from them. And so it's, uh, it's been a really, been a lot of value in just the process of having that community develop and yeah, it's great, you know, it's great for a small company like that to get a lot of input, you know, cause it's, it's sometimes really hard to get.
0: Absolutely. So what's been the, the biggest thing you've learned throughout the whole process of launching a Kickstarter campaign?
1: You know, I think the Kickstarter is an interesting world. You know, I think it's taught us a lot about marketing and marketing discipline. Yeah, I think it's uh Kickstarter like any other sort of e-commerce online based product sale experience. You know, it, it requires a lot of marketing finesse and, you know, crafting a a brand and a voice and a, an idea around your product and, you know, how to get that out in the world in a, in a way that makes sense and matches your economics. So I think it, uh, it doing Kickstarters both times has kind of done a lot of identity definition for us as a company, you know, things that, you don't have to think about launching your 15th variation on a shirt on Amazon you really have to think through deeply when you're crafting a um, you know 15 slide story of your company and a product for a Kickstarter campaign so it it's uh it's forced a lot of good sort of like company and brand soul searching for us and i think it's pushed us it's pushed us forward in a in a big way on that and how we think about our company and what we want it to be and you know how we even think about it ourselves so i think that's kind of been the that's probably for the team been the biggest change that it's driven, as it makes you think about things at a, a much higher level, it gets you out of the out of the trees a little.
0: Yeah, no, it absolutely can help. Obviously, with the uh, direction of the company and maybe the focus on products, categories, niches based on the consumers that are you know really attracted to your brand and your messaging and your quality of your product. Yeah, for sure. So, where are you guys headed next after this campaign?
1: You know, um, we really have kind of, I mean, the nature dry jacket, we haven't really talked about that, but it, you know, the idea behind it is really, um, you know, Merino wool has been around forever. Um, everybody knows, you know, not everybody, a lot of people know what it is. You know, it's not, it would be a big stretch to say that Merino wool on its own is kind of an innovative fabric, but I think that there's cool things going on in the world of fabric and textile research that are allowing natural fabrics like Merino to kind of, you know, replace some of the Um, the easy defaults that have been around forever so you know nature dry is all about replacing nylon and poly based uh, water resistant and weatherproof coats with natural fabrics like merino and there's a lot of places in the world where that that relationship holds true you know um, so we've kind of taken it to looking at things like shoes luggage um, backpacks you know all these products that you know there's a lot of people who get really Amped up about you know not using plastics when you go to the grocery store, um, you know not buying reusable or not buying throwaway water bottles, but you know every time they shop they're using a plastic bag, and uh, their backpack that they're putting it all in is all made out of nylon and uh, polyurethane and so we kind of want to take merino and all these cool things that are going on in, in that world and kind of just keep going after replacing. Unnatural materials with natural materials uh, in every part of people's lives. So, you know, we have a lot of clothing covered at this point, but we think there's a, you know, a lot of other stuff left to cover. So that's probably going to be the direction we continue to go with, you know, our company in general and future Kickstarters.
0: Awesome. Well, this is going to get us into our launch round, James, where I'm going to rapid fire a handful of questions at you. You good to go? Let's do it. All right. So what inspired you to be an entrepreneur?
1: I got to say other entrepreneurs, uh, you know, I think the second I, uh, I got around people who were doing things like that, it just kind of piqued my interest. And the more I dipped my toes into it, um, the more I got excited. I never really, you know, had a dream to be an entrepreneur growing up. But the second I sort of saw what it was and how it worked and a life that lets you live and, you know, the possibilities of, of that world that kind of just sparked my interest and that sparked everyone out.
0: So if you could go on a nature walk with any entrepreneur throughout history, who would it be?
1: Oh, man. You know, I think I'm interested in people like Nikola Tesla. He'd probably be near the top. Um, People who just clearly had an insane brain and just an innate desire to create and invent. And I think uh, people like that are pretty fascinating.
0: Yeah, indeed. What would have been your first question for him?
1: Oh, um, I probably would have asked him the first question that you asked me, which is, what made you want to do all this? you know where did it come from i think it's always an interesting thing to learn about fellow entrepreneurs and you know helps you find and keep your own spark going
0: any uh books that will be inspirational for our entrepreneurial startup guests that you would recommend to them
1: oh man you know it's uh it's probably kind of lame the uh the book that gave me probably my entrepreneurial spark you know way back in the day when i read it in college was uh, the fountainhead by uh, Ann rand i don't know if it I don't know if it would hold the same uh, allure that it does now that it did back then, but you know, certainly for a young mind, it gives you you know some idea of uh, uncompromising vision and um, going your own way. I think uh, if I can trace it all back to something, it might go back to that book.
0: Nice, that's the first one on the show. Uh, Last question: What does the future of crowdfunding look like?
1: You know, I think I've been trying to wrap my head around what the future of e-commerce looks like. You know, post Corona and COVID. So I think you know, that's probably the the biggest lever that's changing things right now in probably all aspects of business. You know, I think um, if I had to guess, I think uh, businesses are going to have to really start thinking about what is a uh, what is a business idea and what is an identity that is compelling to people in the post-corona world. I think uh, you know, maybe for the last 10 years, there was a, a lot of you could build a lot of momentum just by saying like, Hey, I want to start a business. I want to be an entrepreneur. And people are you know, excited about that. I think, I think for some reason, you know, at least what I feel right now, what I see other people resonating, uh, what resonating with other people is you know, having a brand and a vision and a product and an idea that's a little bit beyond just making money. It's gotta be, it's gotta be pointing towards something that's good for everybody or good for more than just you, um, and your customers. So, you know, whether that's social causes or, you know, Global warming, or one percent for the planet, or something like that. I think, um, I think, hopefully, business will go towards a bit more of a you know holistic, um, good for everybody kind of model. I think that uh, that will be good for everybody. So hopefully, we'll see a little bit of that.
0: Yeah, I hope so too, James. Well, this has been amazing. Honestly, I really appreciate it. But this is your opportunity to give our audience your pitch, tell people what you're all about, where they should go, and why they should check you out.
1: Cool. Well, um, you know, we have our Kickstarter campaign running. Uh, we'll be on in demand when that's done, so I don't know when this will air, but you know you can check us out there most likely um if not our website uh, www. Um that's where the rest of our um, product line sits um which is uh, you know similar to our, our Kickstarter campaign it's you know it's all very high blend merino stuff and you know we're excited to kind of keep making a, a wool life possible and would love to have you join us on that mission so uh thanks for the time appreciate it Roy.
0: Awesome. Well, yeah, James, No, I appreciate you being on it. Audience, thanks again for tuning in. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com for the notes, the transcript, links to the campaign at whatever state it's at. And of course, thank you to our crowdfunding podcast sponsors, The Gadget Flow and Product Type. Mr. James Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today on Art of the Kickstart.
1: Appreciate it, Roy. It was fun.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Art of the Kickstart the show about building a business, world, and life with crowdfunding. If you've enjoyed today's episode, awesome. Make sure to visit artofthekickstart.com and tell us all about it. There you'll find additional information about past episodes, our Kickstarter guide to crushing it. And of course, if you love this episode a lot, leave us a review at artofthekickstart.com iTunes. It helps more inventors, entrepreneurs, and startups find this show and helps us get better guests to help you build a better business. If you need more hands-on crowdfunding strategy advice, please feel free to request a quote on InventusPartners.com. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you again next week.